Hey, everybody, welcome back to Crazy Money. This is Paul Ollinger. Today, we're going to grapple with the question, is private school worth it? Oh, what a first world problem, Paul. What first class issues you deal with on, on crazy money. Why don't you deal with something important? Well, I think this is kind of an important question. You know, millions of families grapple with the decision whether or not to spend their very hard-earned post-tax dollars to send their kids to the kind of school that they prioritize, whether it's their desire to educate their kids in a religious or specific cultural environment, whether their kids have special or specific needs that are not addressed by the public school system, or maybe they just want more than they believe the public school system can offer their children. This is a, this is a decision that families grapple with, and the stakes are quite high. As we'll dive into the specifics in the episode, but suffice to say that 14 years at a private school before college, the cost of college, can easily run over a half million dollars a year, even in relatively moderately priced markets like Atlanta. And that number is another 50% or more higher in places like New York, Los Angeles, where many of our very sophisticated listeners to Crazy Money live. The point here is that there is a high price to pay, literally to send your kid to the school of your choice. And so that begs the question, well, what are you buying when you make that commitment to the investment for private school? On this episode, I've invited three good longtime friends to join me in conversation. These are all parents. These are all parents who have experience with both private and public school for their children. And just talk openly. What are we trying to get at? What's the reason? What's the motivation? Is private school the best choice for every child? I think the answer is obviously no to that. But not every private school is also the same. And each private school is sort of a, a different bucket of pros and cons, just as every public school is. And so the three, the four of us actually try to grapple with, you know, what are we trying to do for our kids here and what's the best solution uh, and what combination of private or public school has worked for these guys these friends of mine run people I went to college with, neighbors, and a friend I worked with 25 years ago. They are PJ Brady from Dallas, Texas, Charlene Fitzgibbon from Venice, California, that is Los Angeles, California, and my friend Abigail Lant from just a mile or so away from my house here in Atlanta, Georgia. So this is the episode, Is Private School Worth It? I hope you enjoy it. I'd love to hear your comments. Please email me at paul at crazymoneypodcast.com or uh, write them on the Facebook page of Paul Ollinger or on the Instagram Paul Ollinger page as well. Would love to uh, hear more from you guys about what's working for you for crazy money, especially as it relates to the education of our kids. This, my friends, is Is Private School Worth It? I'm going to ask each of you to introduce yourselves. So why don't we go with the person who got up earliest from Los Angeles, California, <laughs> Charlene English Fitzgibbon. <laughs> Oh, I love Hi, it. Charlene. Hi. I'm glad you threw in that English. My dad would be very happy. <laughs> it's relevant to the conversation. It is. I'm Charlene. I'm in Venice, California, and I do communications and PR for various tech companies, and I work for a lot of nonprofits also doing work around education. I went to both public school all the way through elementary. And then I went to a private boarding school after I was lucky enough to get full ride scholarship through A Better Chance, which is a great 60 year now plus program that helps students find, or they call it high achieving students, 
find um, independent schools around the nation. And your girls go to what kind of schools? My girls went to public elementary and they are now both in two very different independent schools here in, in Los Angeles. Okay, we'll get into yeah. that. Now, working our way across the country, east to Dallas, Texas, Rhodes College class of 90, PJ Brady. What's up, PJ? So, PJ Brady, 55. I've got a young family. I've got three kids, 16, 14, and 12, two boys and a girl. I'm a business owner. I started a business from scratch about 15 years ago. I've been fortunate to find some success in it. I'm happy to say that my education had absolutely nothing to do with my success today. I was a biology major at Rhodes College, and now I'm a real estate investment. I own a real estate investment company now, so it's interesting. You should be a struggling dentist, but instead you're a real estate magnet. That's right. I married a struggling dentist. How's that sound? So I went to a public school, if you call it such. It was uh, Highland Park in Dallas, Texas, which is kind of a very upscale community. Basically, it's a private school that's in a public school setting. It's financed very much from a lot of uh, outside money. And so I wouldn't say that I came from a real public school system, if that's you know the case. My kids all have started school in the Dallas Independent School District. They all went to a dual language program school in our neighborhood. And reasoning behind it was twofold. We, we liked the school and we also didn't have enough money to send them to a private school at the time when I was starting the business. I mean, we were borrowing money from our IRA to buy groceries. So times were tough and the school turned out to be a gym. And now that I've found some success, identified some schools for each child that's unique in certain ways. And we sent them off to three different educations right now. My oldest went through the DISD through eighth grade. He was in a talented and gifted school. So he had a really unique experience there. My 14-year-old, we put him into the parochial Catholic school system. We're not Catholic. So we thought that would give us an advantage to get him into the school that he wanted to go to, which is Jesuit College Prep here in Dallas. And then my daughter, who's a sweet little anxious thing. We found a neat little school for her in fifth grade that has 15 kids in a classroom and it's a perfect fit for her. And we're fortunate that we were able to send them to where we want to now. It's a good fit for them and they're growing really quite a bit. Lots of great perspectives there. We'll come back to those, PJ. Lastly, but not leastly, of course, my neighbor, my friend, Abigail Lant. Abigail, what's happening in the education world at the Lant House? Hello. So, so I have two kids. I have a 14-year-old boy who started in our public elementary school and um, went all the way through. And our intent for him was to go on into, you know, continue in the public school system. He was in the gifted and talented program and all that kind of stuff. And we thought that would be a great fit for him. And then COVID happened. (laughs) So we moved him at that time because the public school system was not in school, but the private school system was continuing to carry on. We moved him because my daughter was already there. She went through public elementary until second grade when we discovered she was dyslexic. And so we moved her to a private school for dyslexia remediation, which was a godsend. 
and she left there in fifth grade. And so we had applied her out to the private school system, knowing that she would need a smaller environment and some, you know, just a little bit more support. You know, I'm a full time working mom. And so I don't really have the the bandwidth to provide all that with um, within the public school system. So again, like you said, PJ, super fortunate that, you know, we had the means to be able to do that, especially on the heels of paying for the remediation school, which holy cow, was that expensive. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Paul's kids went there too, so he knows. Anyway, and so we had applied her to this wonderful private school um, called Mount Vernon, and we were watching her go to school and my son was shuffling five paces to go to, you know, his Chromebook that was issued by the public school. And so I looked at my husband and I was like, you know, can we can we pull this off? Like, can we see if we can move him? So reached out to the school and within two weeks, they were able to get my son into um, to the same school as my daughter. So he's been there through middle school. He's an eighth grader now and he's leaving and we are putting him back into the public school system for high school. So coming full circle. And my daughter's gonna stay. So my background is, uh, I spent 12 years in Catholic school as a kid. Uh, my children are both at independent school based on Christian values. My daughter did do four years at the Skank School in Atlanta, which is a, a gift to the city and a gift to, to all the kids who are able to avail themselves and the families who are able to avail themselves of the school services for dyslexia remediation. And I think what's interesting about these conversations is what's already come up is that we're all trying to find the right environment for our kids. And each kid is different. And so the question of public versus private school does allow you to say, all right, I need this for that kid and that for the other kid. But it all comes at a cost. So I want to start by, this isn't all about money, but money is probably the, the first place to, to start with this. I did some math this morning that was pretty scary. For the best value in school in Atlanta is known as the school where I went, St. Pius, which costs $17,000 a year in tuition. And if you do that for 14 years for your kids, just to get a ballpark figure, you're looking at $238,000 investment over 14 years. Now, that's the low end. Private school in Atlanta is anywhere from 30 to 36 to 40 for some of the more specialty schools. But in New York City... The Dalton School is $61,000 a year. And if you do that for 14 years, wow. you're looking at $854,000. And that's not including interest. So my question for you all is, what are you buying when you pay for private school? And we'll start with Charlene. <laughs> ah. um, what are you buying? I think there's lots of different things. I'm going to take the easy way out on this is that I think that parents have, no, I think that you're making an investment, whatever that type of investment you want to think about it, you're in making an investment just like you would in a company or something. Like you're just hoping that the investment you're making in your kids um, and in their experiences and their opportunities will help them flourish later on in life. I mean, I really think about this from a you know, person of color as a black girl, like I didn't know about a lot of things when I went to my private school. I knew better, of course, sending my kids and you would think that I would say, oh, they don't need it. But 
I think my kids were very different after going to a public school here in Los Angeles. They both had varying degrees of interest and they wanted to find smaller classrooms and community that really spoke to them. And my daughter Rowan is going to a very progressive school here in LA called Wildwood. And my daughter Sloan is going to an all girl school in LA called Archer School for Girls. And they are diametrically opposed, but to me, it made sort of like, oh, wow, they f- they're finding interest and opportunity in two different places. And that's our investment in sort of their freedom to think about who they want to be later on in life. So the difference in investment isn't no schooling or private schooling. It's the difference between public school and private school. Yeah. Do you have some thoughts on what you're getting for that, that delta, Charlie? Do I have thoughts? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I know you've got thoughts. I've got lots of thoughts. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think it's probably a little bit of, of like, again, having hope in the thought that this will be beneficial to them in the future. Okay. Abigail's going to knock our socks off with her thoughts on this topic. Am I allowed to ask Charlene a question? Absolutely. You are. So you mentioned that that you got a lot out of it when you went to a private school and that opportunity has it sounds like maybe changed your life or changed what you think your you know what you think your life would have been like without that. So I'd love to hear what you got out of it because maybe that's what you're hoping your kids will maybe that answers the question of what you hope your girls will get. Yeah, out. I mean I think that that's different. I mean I grew up in Brooklyn, New York during the crack epidemic. And so my parents, no bueno, but my parents were, (laughs) they were immigrant parents and they really were there from Guyana, South America. And I was a great student. I really, I did. I had a great public school that I walked to and my grandfather would pick me up from. It was an incredible experience. But even in that time frame, the music program left, the arts program left, the, and all of a sudden, my parents were like, You're, here you are, high achieving. I'm, they're sending me to Manhattan for classes and dance classes and all these different things. And they were like, maybe this isn't shaking out so well, right? And so I got this ABC chance, and this was from a teacher. A teacher was like, Charlene really is, you know, she's a good student. Like, she might do well in this program. Why don't we give her you know, have her apply and give her a chance. And I got in and my parents were like, bye. (laughs) They were like, (laughs) have a great time. And I just thought, yeah, I mean, look, when I got there, I was like wide eyed, had never seen so many white kids in my life. The rolling hills of (laughs) Connecticut. I was like, there's trees everywhere. Like, I mean, it was really overwhelming. We had, I had lots of issues too, right? People touching my hair, lots of like, where do you come from? Like all of that stuff. There's, we can talk about that. We'll put a pin in that. But it was an incredible (laughs) opportunity to have teachers who paid attention to you and spoke to you. I mean, Mr. Mack, who is, you know, was my English teacher is now the headmaster and is about to leave Taft. And he was incredible. Like, I mean, I was like, wow, like he read the same books that I did. 
And sometimes you didn't get that in in the public school system. I think that that is in the back of my head as I made the decision for my kids. I think that my kids already, because we lived in Santa Monica, California, they went to Santa Monica Public School, they were already benefiting, but they did. They didn't have a music program. They didn't have arts in the way that like they, we used to have them. My daughter is very arty. She wanted to go and be a drama student and she did. So I think it's to, again, touch on things that they make them thrive, that make them excited about their future, because there's lots of ways to be successful in this life. And I think that I wanted to give them a little bit of an investment in that opportunity. Abigail, when you think about public versus private, what's right for each kid, what kind of pros and cons enter your calculation? I mean, I'm a public school kid myself. And for me, I'm pretty frugal. So I think about the financial impact. I've done all the math you've done. For our family, I think I would love for it to be public school all the way. I think my daughter is different. I'm an undiagnosed dyslexic and I would have loved a smaller classroom, some accommodations, just someone to even know instead of, instead I grew up thinking maybe I wasn't that smart. So, and got into TCU on a wing and a prayer and a favor from a friend and, you know, just, you know, poor SAT scores. Like, so I'm so happy that my daughter and that we had the means to send her to the Skank School for dyslexia remediation. And I'm super happy that my son is leaving to go back to the public school system. So our public school is different than yours, Charlene. Like we have a great theater program. There's choir, there's arts, there's travel opportunities. Um, it's, I think it's gonna be really different for him because our public school is lily white. There's you know, a handful of black kids there. Um, the school he's going to is a third, a third, a third. It's a third Hispanic, a third black, and a third white. My son is gay. He's super pumped about some diversity and um, he's excited about a theater program, just all of it. He's excited to get into it. And he's kind of a gritty kid anyway, because he's had, you know, his own version of diversity out there. <laughs> um, Paul knows my son well. And um, so I'm excited for him to thrive in the public school system and just be around some different people that help lift him up and support him and challenge him and all of that. I think my daughter, I think she would drown there. <laughs> I, I, not drown, but but she certainly wouldn't bloom, you know? And so she wants to go, you know? She thinks it'd be great to go. And I think she likes the idea of a bigger pool. That's one of the challenges that I think, that one of the things I don't love about the private schools is they're all pretty small. In Atlanta, most of them have, you know, maybe 100, 150 kids per grade. The public high school that my son is going to next year has 550 kids per grade. So it's enormous and it's growing. So I think, in my opinion, if private school has a place, if you need it for something and if your child needs it, but otherwise, I'm a proponent of public. Duly noted. Yeah, no, I think you're a proponent for public because you went to a great one and 
and it sounds like your son is about to have his mind blown. I would love to be a proponent of public schools, but in some areas that, that is not the case. They don't have great yes. theater programs. They don't have yes. this extensive body. I would love more diversity in all the schools, right? Like I remember the white flight in, in my pu- public school. I think that even in Santa Monica, the, the public schools were like, my daughters were one of a handful, you know? So I think you, even making yeah. choices about where you live, that this makes a difference. I mean, I would love to hear about Patrick's public school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, his was public. Patrick went to, uh, it's called Travis Tag. It's a talented and gifted school. There's 600 applicants for 60 spots in each grade. That's a private school. <laughs> yeah, so he got in. It's a really unique little school. He was there during COVID. And before COVID hit, you know, he started in fourth grade. And he absolutely loved it. It was a great experience. A lot of smart, kind of diverse, socially kids go there. You know, if you think about kind of the top 5% of the kids in public school systems, they tend to be a little quirky and interesting and, you know, diverse. And so he had a lot of that exposure. Some of his best friends were just eccentric, unique individuals. COVID hit. And it's a public school. They had a real difficult time initially trying to figure out how to manage through that. Patrick was one of the few kids that actually went to school. They had the option to go. Most kids decided to stay back, but they kept mm-hmm. the school open. And it was a it was an interesting time for him. He ended up developing really strong relationships with all the professors and teachers there. And matter of fact, He had a a recommendation letter to Jesuit written by his math teacher, who's a black gentleman that comes from a different walk of life completely. And he and my son became best friends over COVID. It's tearing me up a little bit. But he and my son became best friends over COVID. He had the class with this guy by himself every day for an hour and a half. It was pretty neat. He came out of it with a really unique experience. They, they love each other. They respect each other's opinion. And I think he really, really grew from that unique experience that he had. And then after COVID, things came back together and it was a, it was a little bit more of a diverse crew. A lot of families left Travis and went into the private school system because it was such a mess. Um, You know, they had trouble with the technologies. They didn't have the right technologies in place to really accommodate kids off-site. And most of them wanted to educate off-site. So I would say the tail end of the experience was a little, you know, not not quite as good as the first part. But it springboarded them into a really neat school in Dallas. Dallas has this gem of a Catholic school, Dallas Jesuit preparatory school and it's it's an all men's all men's school it's geared towards they have the whole teenage boy figured out it's absolutely amazing and they have athletics for 30 different types of athletes you could be on the bowling team or the grilling team or the drama club Wait, did you say did you say grilling team <laughs> yeah they have they have a grilling oh, dude team. so they have, I'm moving to Dallas that's yeah. awesome <laughs> I know. You can go cook brisket. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So it's a neat situation. But, you know, if I look back on my kids' education, 
the first part of their education in these this DISD school, this elementary school, it's called Withers Elementary. Um, it was a Category Four school, which in in Dallas means that over half the population lived below the poverty line. So what they would do is bring Hispanics in that spoke primarily Spanish, and then they take the neighborhood kids who were all mostly black, Hispanic, and white, but they all spoke English real well. And they'd bring them together and half the classes during the day, they'd speak Spanish only. And the other half, they'd speak English only. And the kids had to help each other out. So the Spanish speaking kids would help the English speaking kids out and, and vice versa. What I think my kids gained out of that experience is when they left those schools, they didn't see color. They didn't see poverty. They, did, they, they saw people for who they were and they appreciated the people my daughter's first boyfriend was this little Mexican kid named Moises. I mean, it was the cutest thing in the world. And she didn't, she didn't care where he came from. He was from Salvador, I think. Barely spoke English, and they, they had a unique experience together. And my kids have grown, and they, they have socially diverse friends. It's a very important part of what I see contributing to them as they move forward in society. It's a beautiful thing, I think. I want them to be, to have an unprejudiced mind. We wanted to expose them to as many cultures and ethnicities as we could and give them a perspective of consciousness so that they could contribute to society later in life. Do you think it's possible to get that out of private school? I do, but not at the same level. So Jesuit is a very diverse community. They have no exclusions. Most of the kids are not Catholic. There's gay kids, there's Muslims, there's the only thing that we don't really run into in, in this situation is kind of that whole pansexual, you know, because there's dress codes and things like that. So they're not a good fit for that type of situation. But I would say they get the exposure, but nothing like they'd get in the in the public school system. Abigail? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you can get that at a public school or a private school. I just, I don't see it at any of the private schools here. And maybe it's just Atlanta. I don't know. I think even, you know, they offer, I'm sure, scholarships to some kids and so forth. But I mean, just looking at the schools around us, there's probably 10 private schools that are pretty common among our neighbors, Paul. And I don't know of a whole lot of diversity that's there. And if there is diversity, it's, you know, it's like the wealthiest Hispanic family that I've ever met or, right. you know, something right. like that. So it's, I thought it was really interesting when my kids started at the public elementary school because we had gone to a preschool, a private preschool, which all the preschools here are private. And I remember waiting for my son as he went in for kindergarten. We were registering and he had to, you know, I think count to 30 and say his ABCs or something. And the diversity was mind-blowing to me because we had been, again, in this little preschool where everybody looked like us. And so it was eye-opening for my kids, but in a good way. I mean, they'd never been around Indian kids. Like, it, it just, it was a really interesting thing for them. And I also think, too, I think this generation of kids is, you know, PJ mentioned your kids are more accepting of others and so forth. And having a gay son has been an interesting, eye-opening thing for us. I just think with social media, 
which I don't like social media. However, one of the blessings I think of social media is our kids are finding community in so many different groups that they wouldn't otherwise be exposed to. And that's a whole other topic. But I think that is helping to bridge some of the gaps of what kids are finding in their schools because they can, if they aren't getting that sense of community in school, they can find it in other ways and then connect with those people. So I think our kids, I hope that they're very different than than the way it was growing up for me um, in terms of you know being more open and accepting of others and thoughtfully challenging each other and keeping each other honest and supporting each other and all of it. I want to pivot off of that a little bit because, you know, Abigail, you brought up, there's a handful of private schools that, you know, are known as the best schools in Atlanta. And there's, there's a great deal of status attached to those schools, whether people want to admit it or not. Charlene, you've mentioned where your kids go to school and those are very big brand names for different reasons in Los Angeles. Do you think there's a status game going on with parents in the private school world? Absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of parents make the choice based on, one, there's the legacy choice, right? Like, oh, I went here, so I'm my children must go here. And then there's the perceptions and values of these families that they think by associating with the same, that community makes them that much better. I think it's a really flawed way of looking at things. I think that most of those kids just want to go to school and find a bunch of kids to play games with and hang out with. And meanwhile, their parents are taking them for a social, you know, social game. I mean, my kids go to these schools, very ritzy people, but they find their community within those schools. And as you know, I don't suffer fools. So I think that, <laughs> I think that you know, if they, that, that elitism is not something that we really, we aspire to, right? Like, I don't, I think that I want them to get a great education. I want to hear about their teachers. I want to hear about their classes, but other people don't. I think that this is all stepping stones to being, part of a societal problem, which is that we've got to step on the people underneath us to, <laughs> to get somewhere. And um, I'm thinking more about like, what is going to make my kid happy, successful, and thinking about being a good person in the world. Rowan School Wildwood is all about social justice. Like she comes home every day with like, mom, did you know? <laughs> and I'm like, but there's a certain amount of status involved with, you know, that sticker on the back of your windshield as well. I mean, it's it's a different kind of status. It, it's signifying that you're that kind of parent, that one, can afford it or find your way to get in there, but two, that you care about these kinds of things. I'm not accusing you of going there for status reasons. I'm just saying, like, that sticker means something different than the Archer sticker means. Yeah, the, that sticker means something. The Harvard-Westlake sticker means something different. The Brentwood sticker means something different. I think... In the end, I'm not looking at the name of the school. I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the, like, what the education happens with my kid. But again, I do think that, and Abigail made this point so perfectly, I think that people go there for just to pony up with another elite people, you know? Right. I think this is interesting because you really have two different 
points here. You have the social side and fitting in with a community, and then you've got the education side. I think we all want our kids to be educated. I think the public school systems, if they're run well, provide some nice resources for kids to take advantage of. You know, you have all the AP programs. DISD has one of the best schools in the country. Um, It's their tag high school. If you graduate from there, you're pretty much guaranteed to go wherever you want to go. You know, I send my kids to a certain school, not, not only for the education side, but also for the social side. I want them to to connect with people that they like, that they feel comfortable with, that in the future might be something as well that they can still connect with from a business perspective. Because there's a lot of that that happens. I, I have friends from high school that I wasn't even that great of friends with that I knew and I'm doing business with today. And so there's, there's some interesting dynamics. You know, if we were going to send Patrick to the school that he would feed into naturally through DISD, I don't think he'd have the same connections in life later that he'd have through Jesuit. Now, Jesuit is a unique school. You know, like Abigail, I know the schools in Atlanta. My sister lives in Buckhead, so I my nephew goes to Pace Academy. I know the whole story <laughs> there. It's actually a different type of system than we have in Dallas. We have so many private schools in Dallas. It's unbelievable. If you want a school with 10 kids per class, you can find it. If you want to send a kid to a school that's like a public education, but with a parochial influence, it's there. A lot of the Catholic schools in Dallas have run in pure deficit. I think it's $22,000 a year a Jesuit right now. And I think it costs $29,000 per student. And they give out... 30% of the students that go there are on scholarship of some sort. So it's a really interesting program, and I think they're getting some good exposure. PJ, the development officer at Jesuit has trained you well. Yeah, PJ, (laughs) your school is like, I want to go there. (laughs) Well, not only that, but he's hawking the, the language of development, which is now... The tuition doesn't cover the full cost of education here. Exactly, so, exactly. So kudos to whoever that to kudos to whoever your fundraising contact is at Jesuit. I think that the, there's an interesting thing about all the different locations here, right? Like, I think that like my husband, yeah. for instance, uh, grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and there is a school for everyone there. Like, it's similar to Dallas. I think there's lots of different um, Catholic schools, lots of different public schools. But you can find it like you can. There's lots of different private schools. But I think Mm -hmm. L.A. is so broad and wide and stuff like that. The schools and also in New York, like the schools seem so elite and tiny because they have these Tony names and they're super expensive. Right. And so they do try and do all the work that PJ is talking about. They try and have scholarship programs and bring in diversity and stuff like that. But they're so story their things are so mired in who they are all the things mm-hmm. are still still there sometimes you can't get away from it either right like dalton is a $61,000 school and has been around for what 75 100 years like i mean it's pretty crazy all right let's talk about something pj brought up and we don't talk about this you know specifically certainly not publicly a lot of the time but there's a big underlying thing here which is 
how is this school going to help my kid get into either the best college or the best college for him or her? Abigail, we've got a really unique thing where there's most families in Georgia aren't thinking about getting their kid into Harvard or Princeton. They're thinking about getting their kid into the University of Georgia because it's so because it's because <laughs> the scholarships are so generous there. You can basically send your kid to school for free. How do you think that manifests in where people send their kids to school for high school? It's interesting in Dallas, people send their kids to public schools to rank higher. The University of Texas, you have to be in the top 6% of your class or you don't even get looked at. And so there's a lot of instances where kids are, you know, maybe top quarter of a private school and the kid says, I want to go to UT, University of Texas, not Tennessee. And they end up pulling them and putting them in public school system and they, they graduate the top 6%. There is a little bit of that. Do you hear that gamesmanship in Atlanta? Yeah. It's similar here where... Um, a lot of people send their kid to the school that my son's going to go to next year for that very reason. We're not going there for that reason, but I'm sure people will think we're going there for that reason because a lot of people do. So whatever. You've read the message boards. I've been on backyard. I'm slandering you on the, the feeds in backyard or next door, not backyard. Sorry. There's a big push in the private schools to quit ranking students as well. So a lot of the private schools are carte blanche, not even ranking the kid. They're not even giving them a percentile mm. and they're sending the resumes in with recommendations. That puts a lot of influence and power in the hands of the school as opposed to the performance of the, <laughs> of the student, doesn't it? They still have their test scores to, you know, get them in, but they're saying, you know, here's his GPA or her GPA and here's this SAT and ACT scores. So, Abigail, do you worry about the stigma that people might think you're sending your son to North Atlanta for those reasons? Oh, no. We have lots of stigmas floating around this household, so we don't worry about that at all. We're good. So, um, so no. Stigma is your middle name. It is. It is. So we've we've learned to embrace it around here. So, um, so no, I, I don't worry about it. And Maybe that's how it'll work out for us. Maybe it's not how it'll work out for us. It was interesting to me hearing PJ say that he's looking for his son, kids in general, to develop contacts in high school. I hadn't really thought about that. I think of that more for college. And so I do want my kids to go to a good school and to have choices. Again, I mentioned I was an undiagnosed dyslexic and did not have great grades, did not have strong test scores. And, you know, through a family favor, I got into conditional admission status at TCU and am super thankful for that opportunity. And I did a lot with it. I'm happy about that. But I want my kids to get to a different place where they do have choices, um, whether it's University of Georgia or somewhere else, whatever that looks like for them. I do think the public school will put my son in a better position for that. The statistics that I read were the matriculation rates coming out of North Atlanta High School, which is our public high school. Um, more kids were getting into University of Georgia and Ivy League schools than all of the private schools in Atlanta combined. I have not validated those statistics, but I heard it from a pretty yeah. good source. And I think it comes down to the percentile thing that you were saying, PJ, where there's just greater odds of kids there at, um, at the public schools. And so more of them are getting in. And Heck, I'll ride that wave. 
<laughs> you know, that could be based on the racial composition of the student body, right? Because there's different admissions rates based on different races. Sure. But there was a phenomenon. When we moved back to Atlanta from Los Angeles 12 years ago, I really, there's a lot of different ways of thinking. Maybe I'm making assumptions here, but my friends in New York, LA, and San Francisco, I think we all were thinking, all right, I want my kids to go to the best, most prestigious colleges in the country. And then you come back here, and it's really interesting because I think it comes back to the network, how they think about a network and where success comes mm. from. Like success in Atlanta is generally more about local businesses and local connections. And I've seen, it seems to me, I've noticed this phenomenon where parents will spend whatever, $600,000 for 14 years of pre-college education and then send their kids to Ole Miss. And no offense to Ole Miss or anything like that. It seems to be inconsistent mm -hmm. in the sense of if you're thinking that they're sending those kids to private school for 14 years for academics, that's not the driving choice for sending your kid to Ole Miss, right? Agree. Yeah, I, I think, Paul, it's so interesting because I do think that we're in this weird time, right? Like the ACT and the SAT may go away for some schools. Yes. All this academic versus like, you know, who's the whole child? Like, do they know who they are before they even get to college? Of course I'm not. Like, it's, they don't. Like, it's all part of their, their no. it's all part of their education. And I do think that there's tons of parents that are like, this is about getting them to the college that will give them the best leg up to get into business, be a great lawyer at X firm and et cetera, et cetera. I did not know about any of these tracks when I was in Brooklyn, New York, like, <laughs> I, nor do I know them even to this day. I know a little bit about the fact that People still want to go to Harvard and Stanford's the hardest school to get into with an acceptance rate of what, 3% or something like that. Something like that. Um, but I do believe that we have to sort of rejigger our brains around that. Like, I mean, why, why can't the kid go to Ole Miss and feel okay that their parents spent 400K? I mean, I'm just saying, like, it might be, again, the values and the perceptions of that family believe that old Miss is part of their, like, you know, their family jive, you know, vibe, you know? And I'm not judging it. I just thought it was interesting because the preconceptions that I had, I was projecting, hey, of course I want, and this was before I had kids. I was always like, well, I want my kids <laughs> to go to the most prestigious college they can get into. And then you have kids and you look at them and each kid is so different. And you're like, oh, all I want is what's best for that kid. And Harvard isn't best for yep. every kid, even if they had the chance to get in. I know some people really want to con convince themselves that their kid is high achieving and loves science or STEM or whatever, and they're they're not like they're they're just different kids for all these different schools. And there's so many different types of school colleges out there and universities. I think my kids will choose whatever is best for them. Um, that's my hope. I do think this interesting thing because I don't know the numbers here in LA about. How many public school kids go to, you know, high-ranking colleges? I think that some people do move their kids to public school for that reason, to be a music student from Samo High because they can, they can get into MIT or something like that. PJ, do you think people in Texas want to send their kids to UT because it's a great value or because it's great network or some combination of both? It's that and it's cultural, too. I mean, everybody's like... Mm -hmm. The end game for a lot of these people here is to yeah. get to that school, whether it takes, you know, if they go through JUCOs <laughs> to get there, 
but their parents went there, their grandparents right. went there. So it's, it's like embedded in their culture. But honestly, I think, you know, we were talking about what's best for the kids. A lot of times I think parents disregard that, send their kids to schools that have, they don't have their kids' best interest in mind. And it's not a good fit for them. I mean, Abigail, I, it'd be difficult to identify a private school in Dallas that would be a good fit for your son. Mm-hmm. There's a few that I would say would be great, but you know, generally speaking, the public school system would be more inviting. Well, that's what we find here in Atlanta too. I mean, it's. I don't think our schools hold the prestige that you know, kind of the Westminster, the Pace, and those types of schools do. But we send our kids to school primarily to become social parts of society, to graduate with self confidence, so that they can fail and get back up on their feet and go again. You know, the educational part is each kid's going to have a different experience. My oldest is cerebral. He's smart. He's into it. I've never had to tell him to do his homework. My second kid is just like I was. School gets in his way for social activities and sports. But I found success, even though I was always an average student. I barely got into roads, probably because I played football. I mean, honestly, I think... It's self-confidence and knowing who you are and being able to make mistakes and learn from them and being socially aware of other people and welcoming to them and being a part of society is my end goal for my kids. PJ, I thought that the, the other thing that you bring up that is so important is that also at these private schools, there is a, I'm going to go to college. There's something about, there was that article you sent us, Paul, yes. that they are surrounded by other students that value that the fact that they will go to college one day and they sort of get in a pool of people that are like, hey, we're all here because we want to get somewhere where that is, who knows. But I do think that you sent us that article and that really made me think about them also being surrounded, being able to speak to anyone, being confident that they can, like, be in a room within a business boardroom or they can be in a, you know, dance recital. Like they can talk to anyone. And that's really special, actually. I mean, that's one of the things that I think about with with the public school that my son will be at next year is it's an international baccalaureate school. So the children are held to a higher level of academic rigor than they would be at just a regular school. You brought up the whole thing, Charlene, where all public schools are not equal. And certainly we see that in Atlanta and different neighborhoods where um, I would never send my child to that public school if we lived there because it's not safe. And it's and not only that, but there's not the other students there to lift them up and to have a similar end game, which is to be a productive member of society and get a job and go to college and all that kind of stuff. So, so I'm confident in the school we're sending him to because they do have all of that baked in in a public school setting. So it's it's kind of a, the best of both worlds. My black no. friends, I was talking to a couple of them who live in different areas of, of L.A. that I do, and they have public schools there that they said that they would never send their kids. They, they made a choice to go to private school because of the chaos of those public schools, right? They didn't want their kids to be exposed to... The things that 
you know, that they're trying to protect them from, actually. And so, I mean, that is a little bit of a conscious decision for parents in the, on the other side. I know that white parents have different things that they're looking at, but as a person of color, you're thinking about where do you live? And, you know, as much as I love my community and like living in my community, the public school is not faring well for their children and they have to make choices. So that brings me to the next question and we'll wrap it up after this and some final thoughts. But the question of accountability, Charlene, you've been in both public and Pete, well, all of you, You've been in both public and private schools. Do you feel the administrators and the teachers are, is the level of accountability different at a private versus a public school? PJ. I think there's great teachers in both. The one thing that really frustrates me in the public school system is they have these assessment tests to basically rank and file each individual school and teacher In Dallas, the teacher's bonuses are directly tied to these assessment tests. So the kids, there's no alignment of interest in educating the kids. So you've got these teachers that are really forced to teach for the assessment test just to score a high grade so they can get bonuses and give their school a high ranking. I think that the private schools stray away from that. I think the interest is more in the education of the child in most instances, and the the fact that they're not pushing these tests on them, they do them, but it, it doesn't. It's not tied to bonuses. It's not tied to the schools, administrators, jobs, etc. It's just interesting to me. Charlene, in your experience, what do you see out there? I think you have dedicated teachers and administrators on both sides. I think that on public schools, there is a system that is broken and that they are trying their best to navigate around it, right? Like, I think we're losing teachers everywhere, by the way. Like, teachers are quitting, and I think it's a real, real problem, and we have to find ways to find, to make it a profession that people love again. The teachers at our private school are really dedicated. Yes, they get paid more. Yes, they have boards that are protecting them, (laughs) you know, like... There's lots of accountability to to those teachers, but not so much in the public system. There's less bureaucracy as well. Abigail? I would echo all of those comments. I almost feel like private schools just have a lot of politics to deal with. We've had some, some wonderful experiences with public school teachers. When my daughter was dyslexic, but we didn't, we hadn't tested her yet and it wasn't going well. It just had an incredible second grade teacher, Annie Cecil, who just did some amazing things to support my daughter and to get her the help she needed because she was a functioning, high functioning dyslexic. So she didn't qualify for the support that the public school offered, but yet we both knew she needed it. And so anyway, she, she just, she was Herculean in her efforts for us. And we really appreciate that. But then I've also had instances where the teachers appeared to be, you know, kind of hiding behind the bureaucracy and the red tape of the public school system. And that that was disappointing to see. On the flip side in private, I mean, I feel like it's just this cakewalk where they will do all sorts of things for you, (laughs) Um, which Which, you know, brings you to a fairness piece, too, you know, for the people who wish they had that for their kids but don't. And so 
But again, it, it goes back to to grit. I mean, we're all a product of the environments that we're in. And if we can make the best of those situations, it can make you a grittier person who is more likely to press on and persevere. So, but not every student can rise to that occasion. So I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> I think that's the trade-off, right? Where you say it's a cakewalk. Are we making it too easy for our kids by putting them in these very, very safe mm-hmm. environments? On the other hand, Charlene, what you mentioned about, you know, the chaos in the classroom and, you know, every day you see a video online, which are not necessarily representative, but like, there's craziness in classrooms and you're like, fuck that noise, right? Like I'm not putting myself in that, my kid in that environment. Well, and the teacher has to cater to the Absolutely, lowest But you know what? I'm willing to let my kid be a little bit more naive and a whole lot more safe and surrounded by people whose expectations are going to help him rise, him and her rise mm-hmm. to the, you know, the level of their academic potential. That, that's the conundrum right there. So let's sum it up. PJ, you said beautifully what you were hoping for your kids through education, Abigail and Charlene, I'd love for you to share some thoughts on that before we close out. I think I just want my kids to realize their potential. My son is super bright, was one of 10 kids to test into the gifted program when he was in kindergarten. Other kids were clamoring to get their kids in because other parents were because they, you know, it's a different level of education within the public school system. So he's super bright. He, I think, did not fare as well in his middle school years because in addition to all the fun that middle school presents, he was coming out and I think has been distracted by that. For him in particular, I'm excited for him to get his academic game back on and get into theater again, hopefully, because that wasn't cool in middle school. And I'm hoping he can ditch some of the coolness and pursue his gift and thrive. For my daughter, I want her to have self-confidence as a dyslexic person. And she also is super smart, actually has a higher IQ than my son, but she doesn't feel smart because she is dyslexic. And that is an academic conundrum. And so I want her to have confidence in herself, opportunities, and to thrive. Charlene? Yeah, I mean, I've been really thinking about this. I think I want my kids to be their most authentic selves. And I'm hoping that the choices I'm currently helping guiding them through so making the choice to send them to private school will help them get closer to that. I think that the problem is that my kids probably in 10 years will say, God, boy, did she fuck me up. <laughs> <laughs> all our kids are going to say that. We all say it about our parents. They're all going to say it about us. That's right. That's excellent. I'm trying my best to find to hope that they realize that even these choices right now is just a sliver of what their overall education is. I want them to be global. I want them to think big. And I hope that this is just helping them get the best education going forward. PJ, anything to add? I wouldn't change a thing about our path. I mean, sending the kids to the public school, getting that exposure. I think from a social perspective, it was probably the greatest thing that's happened to them. So we are absolutely pleased with what happened. 
we couldn't afford it financially at the time anyway, but it was a blessing <laughs> in disguise. It was amazing. I think it's also, we work really hard to put them through this these schools. And I think that that's part of it too. It's like, mm-hmm. they are currently who I'm working for <laughs> and that's okay. I love my kids, <laughs> so I'm gonna keep doing it. That's right. Yeah. M- million dollar education after taxes. After taxes and big hugs, big hugs. I'm giving them big hugs. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for doing this and for being honest and open and sharing uh, personal information. I think it's a very worthwhile topic. We could talk about this for hours and on end and just want to say thanks. Thank you, Paul Ollinger. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul.